This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. This week on Hangar Talk, we celebrate a big flying club milestone. And Diamond celebrates a milestone with their five-place retractable. Also, get out those checkbooks. If you've got 12 million bucks, you can get a rare Warbird. We get the latest on the Magni X electric engines. And finally, finishing off with some bad news, the Gamma shipping numbers are out and they are not pretty. Well, Ian, let's still do some Hangar Talk. Are you ready? All right, let's do it, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, turn right back. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And David, our guest this week, a really cool guy you caught up with. He's He's got everybody's dream, a, a real sort of smorgasbord of uh, cool airplanes to fly, and he races some of those at Reno. Yeah, we caught up with Dennis Sanders, and he was the 2019 Reno Air Races winner, basically in the top category, the unlimited category, and he talks about some of the strategy, and it is fascinating. Cool. So we'll get that in a couple of minutes, but first, let's celebrate a little bit. The 150th Flying Club AOPA has been involved with to help start. We just passed that milestone, and you wrote a great story about this really neat club. I love the name, up in Montana. Yeah, Ian, the Bald Eagle Aviation Club is our 150th Flying Club. And it was really cool to catch up to the to the two mainstays, Mike Whitehill and Kevin Collum. And you know what, Ian? They were on different sides of, of the city in Kalispell, Montana, and they came together and pooled their resources and started a flying club. And it's really a tale of two guys who were headed in the in the same direction. They just needed a little bit of a of a boost from our flying club's director, Steve Bateman, and they hooked up. This is this is fantastic. Now, this is something flying clubs that that AOPA was involved in really from the beginning of the whole You Can Fly initiative, with the idea being that we had to expand access. We had to help do whatever we could really to expand access to affordable aircraft. And and everybody knows flying clubs are a great way to do that. They're also a really good, you know, social tie to aviation. Brings in some instant flying friends and and you know people extend it to their families and everything else. And in each one of these clubs that we've helped start, I mean, this is a hands-on, in the trenches, going over, you know, the minutia of 
IRS paperwork and FAA paperwork and everything else. And so 150, it's a big deal. It is, Ian. I'm in the uh, Westminster Airbats Flying Club. I know our Hangar Talk listeners have heard me talk about it a little bit. It's with a Cessna 152 Aerobat, and it's actually Steve Bateman's airplane. And you talk about minutia. We have a monthly meeting, and we talk about the finances. We look at the treasurer's report. We have a president's report, maintenance report. But we have some fun stuff, Ian. At the last meeting we had, we had a little cookout, socially distancing, of course. And it was great. You know, we share this, the common goal. A lot of us are, are training. We want to, you know, do some aerobatics when we can save up for parachutes. But the Bald Eagle Aviation Club really, the, I think they took it up a notch, Ian. They bought a 182, an older Cessna 182, a straight tail model. Nice. And it has a, a Horton Stoll conversion because this is Montana. This is for high performance, you know, work up, up in the, the high altitude airports. And the monthly dues are reasonable, Ian. I think 150 bucks a month is reasonable for dues, and they charge themselves $120 wet rate per tachometer hour, and versus dry rate. So wet rate means we are all in at 120 bucks. Yeah, that is nice. They have an. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned they have an initial club membership. It's just a little bit over 2,000 bucks. And it is transferable, and uh, we have something similar going on at the Westminster Airbats Club. Of course, everything is scaled down. It's all less expensive. And that is what I like about the Flying Club Initiative, which is it gets people up. It gets them in the air for a lot less money than you would if you were going to the local FBO to rent an airplane. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so we wish them all the best. Bald Eagle Aviation Club, great name. And if you have an interest in flying clubs, definitely reach out. I mean, go and read this story because you'll find the contact right there. Steve Bateman, he's the man. You can call him directly and he will help you from day one. They'll help connect you to other folks, help you set up with all the particulars. And uh, it, it is really, it's an amazing way to uh, expand your local community. He practices what he preaches and you'll like listening to him. He's got a British accent. He's a really cool guy. Yeah, that's right. Hey, speaking of Europe, it's a good segue to Diamond. Great job, Ian. Good job with that. I like yeah, it. that's right. <laughs> the, uh, the DA-50 RG, which is this unbelievably cool looking modern airplane it's got that massive glider wing but five seats burning diesel fuel with that continental cd 300 we've talked about this on the show they now have what seems like a really short time frame easa certification and you know faa is coming up really shortly after yeah faa will probably follow suit with uh after the european union aviation safety agency that you mentioned the Diamond DA50RG you talked about a second ago is powered by that Continental CD300 horsepower twin turbocharged liquid-cooled six-cylinder diesel engine. Now, that's a mouthful, but, you know, that is a slick-looking airplane. They're looking to have the aircraft fly at about 9 U.S. gallons per hour at uh, the maximum range. That's pretty good range and pretty good economy. We're talking about a diesel engine here. So fuel is a little bit different price in, in the Americas, but it's probably going to be very appealing to folks overseas and in other countries where diesel fuel is a lot less than 100 low lead here is in America. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So it's it's cost less and it's more available. You know, certainly through parts of the developing world, you're going to find jet fuel a lot more than you are uh, Avgas. So that allows you, you know, some more flexibility there. And as you say, of course, it's cheaper. You know, diesel engines are generally a little heavier. So you do take that penalty. But they're saying, Diamond's saying they've got about 1,200 pound useful load, which is pretty nice. 50 gallon capacity. 
Top speed's 180 knots, but, um, you know, so you're going to be burning a little more than nine gallons at that 180 knots. But even if you're looking at, you know, she's, I mean, I don't know what, call it, we'll, we'll find out when we fly this thing, 150 knots, maybe 160 at nine gallons an hour. That's incredible efficiency. So really slick looking airplane. And, and I think it's going to be a winner. And you know what? We recently talked about the, the folks who pooled together to help buy Mooney. And it looks like they're going to have some stiff competition in that retractable gear class, Ian. That's right. Now, if you're a little more, you know, sort of champagne level and you've got that 12 million bucks sitting, just burning a hole in your pocket, you can be the owner, uh, the exclusive club, the single owner of an XP82, a twin Mustang. Ian, this airplane made its debut back at the Sun and Fun air show a couple of years ago, and it is a, a phenomenally sexy looking airplane if you don't mind me saying that on the air with hangar talk here it's two north american p51 mustang fuselages that share a, a center wing and horizontal stabilizer and this was uh, one of only two xp82 prototypes you know the twin mustang was and one thing i was going to uh, let our podcast listeners know about which is that you know this airplane's intended mission it came about at the end of world war ii this intended mission was for that long-range bomber escort, you know, in the Pacific Theater. But I want to say that it was a little too late for that. And the jet age was just starting to dawn upon us shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. And so this airplane never really saw its potential. Yeah, that's right. This has been restored, like you mentioned, a couple of years ago. So for your 12 million bucks, not only are you going to be, you know, a sole member of a worldwide club there, but you get... 25 hours since restoration, 25 hours since major on the engines, the props. You get a GTN 650, nice little unit. You get a GMA 340 audio panel. And, of course, you get uh, the GTX 345 ADS-B transponder. So, um, you know, there's some value there. And uh, Tom Riley uh, of Douglas, Georgia, people will recognize his name in the restoration world. And he had to dig, dig far and wide for the components for this airplane, Ian. It has counter-rotating propellers and a rare left-hand turning Merlin engine. Actually, two left-hand turning engines, which are rare. And so th this is really interesting. He's got a bunch of uh, spare parts, you know. So it's not just the airplane. You get the whole ball of wax. Yeah, which you're going to need. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Keep that baby rolling. That's right. That's right. If a little more modern is your style, Magni X, we've talked about them before. They, they of course, produce electric engines. Really the future, I think, when you're talking about especially regional transportation, they've been in the news a little bit more because, you know, we usually talk about battery-powered electric engines, but now they're they're looking more at hydrogen, and they've gotten involved in a couple of those projects. Ian, you wrote about this early on. In fact, you wrote about the hydrogen, you know, power early on. But I think that there's something to be said for that, because the way that, that the fuel will be transported around, I think that we could see sort of an infrastructure that could be put in place for the hydrogen fuel cells. And... This also combines with some electric airplane motors that the company has pioneered in the past. And gosh, I mean, we wrote about a de Havilland Beaver, an electric version of that. So, you know, we're looking at something that's a really a people hauler with yeah. the de Havilland Dash 8 and the startup uh, called Universal Hydrogen out in L.A. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. I mean, the issue with hydrogen is, well, you know, you're talking about a ground infrastructure. I mean, that's one of the big challenges is like, you know, airports are set up to provide jet fuel. 
in the case of commercial airports, not a whole lot of uh, hydrogen distribution going on there. But, you know, they think there are solutions for that. And so they're they're trying to, you know, make their power plant a little more, you know, sort of fuel agnostic. And, and I think, you know, one thing that's going to push it is obviously Boeing and Airbus. And so Airbus also came out just recently, just at the same time Magniax was talking about hydrogen, with three concept airplanes that they say by 2035 could be hauling people. I mean, we're talking large scale, not, you know, proof of concept. They're they're showing turboprops, turbofans, blended wing body, you know, flying wings, that they say could be uh, hauling, you know, lots of people by 2035 and, and zero emission hydrogen powered aircraft. Pretty phenomenal. That is, Ian. And, you know, thinking about that, hydrogen powered airplanes and also the electric power, you know, there is a lot to be said for, for going around locally. And you and I have talked about the training environment going around the local airfields, but also out of the Pacific Northwest, uh, particularly there are a whole bunch of islands, the San Juan Islands, where you could, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump from one to the next to the next. And there is an interesting way to have that, you know, basically have that infrastructure in place for, for hydrogen power or electric power. So this is really interesting. I think the development is significant. Yeah, it is kind of interesting how when you look at where that development is happening, like you're saying, I mean, it's we're talking, you know, short flight training hops, you know, with really light airplanes, like from Pipistrel, and then maybe really short regional hops, like, you know, up in the Pacific Northwest, or maybe with Cape Air, like in the Northeast or in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, you can see places where that's really, you know, the infrastructure is easier to build, the the hops are frequent, but short, where this stuff can really start to kind of, you know, seep into kind of the framework and then but at the same time now you have Airbus coming from the very top down and so it will be really interesting to see kind of how those two things converge I don't know I think it's going to be a while before we have hydrogen powered sort of GA you know Skyhawks let's call it but uh, electric maybe a little bit closer yeah and going from uh, electric and talking about a little bit closer what was uh, released just about a just a few days ago really was a General Aviation and Manufacturers Association quarterly report which was not so good for general aviation manufacturing. No. But it could have been worse. Yeah. <laughs> There's the silver lining. Uh, that's a You're a glass half full kind of guy right there. Yeah, yeah. It could have been worse. I don't know. Let's, let's do bad news first. Bad news, I think, you know, jets, big jets, and helicopters. The poor helicopter sector has just taken a massive beating. I don't understand that so much. You know, helicopters have been, the sales and deliveries of helicopters have been going down for a while. I don't yeah. quite get that. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you, you definitely continue to see that with the helicopter market and the training market too. I mean, used to be sort of piston helicopters were insulated just a little bit, but you know, so first half of the year of 2020, you look at total piston helicopter sales. I mean, 63 that's terrible. You know, this time last year, they, they did 66 in the first quarter of 2019. Versus a whole year so far. That's yeah, significant. You're it right. Is, it is. So that's, that's I would say, the first bit of bad news. I, I, you know, I don't want to go down <laughs> manufacturer by manufacturer, but another one that, that you and I were looking at, Cirrus specifically, they, they did not have a good first half of the year. Surprisingly so, Ian. Uh, usually Cirrus is out of the gate leading the way. You know, this year in quarter two, total airplanes delivered were 74, and quarter one, total airplanes delivered by Cirrus were 85. Now, that's still pretty good when you look at the rest of the general aviation marketplace, but we haven't seen slower numbers like this from Cirrus in, in quite a while because they're normally a market leader. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, like, for example, quarter two of 2019, they delivered 123 airplanes compared to, what we say, 74. I mean, that's a pretty significant drop. I, I do wonder, you know, some of the manufacturers were saying that that there's not really an economic issue here. There's a logistical issue, now, especially if they're selling internationally. People literally couldn't come to the country to pick up their airplanes, and, and you know, manufacturers couldn't go deliver them. So I do wonder if some of that, although I don't know how much Cirrus Markets is international, but... It could be driving some of that. Uh, well, I was going to make one other point, which is you're talking about the economic market. And one thing to consider, and we got a little bit of this when we talked to the folks at Mooney, was that, you know, there's a trade embargo in place. There are actually tariffs that are involved with a lot of the raw goods that we get elsewhere, including from China. Yeah. So this does affect some of the components that you see. And Cirrus has some Chinese investment. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So there were bright spots. In particular, training. Very bright in the training department, Ian. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, the folks over at Piper vowed to to take it up a notch a couple of years ago uh, when we talked to Simon uh, Caldecott. And also, he actually spoke to us at Hangar Talk and gave us some insight. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they really are doing well. Uh, this, this quarter, Piper shipped... 45 of the Archer 3s. Now, that's compared to 42 last year, same yep. quarter. Yep. But the first quarter, and, and it's up a, a significant notch from the 18 that were delivered in quarter one of this year. However, that quarter one of this year compares to 35 last year. It's about half. Yeah. But ov overall, Piper's doing pretty good so far, yeah. making good on that promise to really throw the gauntlet down towards Textron and another dark horse front runner, Technum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Technum, I think, you know, not too bad. What, last year, quarter two, they had 55 deliveries. What is it this year? It's 44. So, you know, a downturn, but nothing nothing too serious. Now, you mentioned Textron. They, I think, were the big shockers here, especially when you look at the training market. I mean, I, I thought they had, they've had a phenomenal year so far. They have. In fact, they've improved upon their numbers from 2019. So as you mentioned a second ago, the 172 Skyhawk XSPs delivered this year were 51. That compares to last year's 24. That's more than twice as many this quarter. And in the first quarter, 48 of the 172s were delivered, and that compares to 28 in 2019. And thank you again. You brought some research to the table on that, Ian, and we were talking about that before we got on air. And that's uh, pretty significant, you know. So Textron is doing good in the training department. Piper's doing good in the training department. Technum is uh, slow and steady. And we talked a little bit about Diamond at the head of the show with their, their new DA50, and they always are a company to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, I thought, kind of like Technum, they didn't have as much of a drop-off as I might have expected. I mean, 59 in the second quarter of this year compared to 67 last year. So, you know, I mean, a drop, definitely, but uh, not as bad as it could have been. So in your glass-half-full sort of outlook there, I would say, you know, all things considered, not too bad. So the training market's driving uh, GA aircraft deliveries and not so much in the uh, turboprop and jet world. So hopefully as the economy turns around overall, we might see a turnaround in those numbers at some point in the future. Yeah, we hope so. Absolutely. So, hey, I want to bring on our guest, Denny Sanders. I mean, you know, I think everybody who's who's ever watched airplanes and knows about Reno dreams of what that must be like to, to fly so low, so fast, and in such close quarters with other pilots. And he 
thinks you know you pulled this out of him he, he has some really interesting insights into that and and real first-hand experience obviously Sanders, well-known Reno air racer. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks. Well, we know that normally you would be preparing for the Reno air races this time of the year in September, but this is an unusual year. We have the coronavirus pandemic and we're not going to have Reno air racing this year, but you were pretty successful last year. You climbed to the top of the podium. Tell us a little bit about the last race. So, I've been racing at Reno since 1983 myself, so I've been racing a long time. We've been taking a couple of C-Series. We have three of them, Dreadnought, Argonaut, 924. And this year was especially exciting because I, I, I qualified number one. I uh, won every race, and then on Sunday, I managed to win the main event with the airplane. So it was, a, it was a first after racing all those years, is the first time I got to win. Very exciting. Now, your average, I guess your average speed was 403.274 miles per hour, which is pretty darn fast to a single-engine Cessna pilot. But now your airplane's capable of going much faster. I qualified at 440. And in the race, we started out, I was running 440 laps for the first couple of laps. Um, The competition behind me was going that fast as well. And then about the third lap, he had engine trouble and had to pull up out of the race. After that, I pulled the power back to get a, a 403-mile-an-hour average for the win. And I, I was prepared to go 440 the whole race. Well, first of all, congratulations on the win to you and your family. I know that you, your family basically are Sea Fury specialists. And you raced against some other people in similar airplanes. Yeah, we had all three of our Sea Furies in the main event. And the Argonaut was the second. It was a, a very fast airplane. And uh, so it was myself. Then it was the P 51 that had engine troubles. And then Argonaut was running in third. And he had a problem with his uh, ADI. And ADI injection, the thing started to get hot. So he pulled up out of the race and didn't finish but joel swagger finished second behind me in rc theory 924. so you prepared so, all three of these it was very exciting theories. we got yeah so you yeah, prepared yeah, these three, yeah, well, three years are they like little children to you and you kind of you just had the best one of the day or, or just luck fell into your place or both you know uh, the c theories have been here a long time we've, we've had all three airplanes over 30 years so, yeah, I grew up with them and fly them and maintain them and try and keep the, the heritage going. So now for folks who aren't Reno air racers like myself, the Sea Fury, your average over 400 miles per hour. Now, how are you coming up on those gates? Now, what's your race strategy and how, do you, how are you able to maintain your look ahead and do this successfully so quickly? So I, I, I always have the pylon that I'm... Uh, you know, like you're going by, it's the one going by in your peripheral. And I have one in sight, 
and I've got the airplane set for that one. And as soon as I have it set for that one, I'm looking for the one ahead of me. So I've always got two in sight. So it's kind of like a, a downhill ski racer, except for you're going eight times faster than they are, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going pretty fast, and you're low. You're probably anywhere from 80, about 80 feet above the ground. You get much lower than that, and you're, you're just too close. Now you're worrying too much about the ground. You need to be up just a little bit. Uh, I like two wingspans above the ground, which is the wingspan is 38 feet, so it's 70 feet. That's about how high I personally like to be. 70 feet above the ground going over 400 miles an hour. My hat is off to you, sir. All right, now we talked a little bit about going fast at the Reno Air Races. And let's talk about something else that happened at the Reno Air Races last year that was really popular. I want to get your take on it. And that would be the short takeoff and landing demonstration events, which are gaining popularity around the country and around the world. Now, you're at one end of the speed spectrum, and they're at the other. Tell me a little bit about that contrast. It was uh, exciting to watch. It wasn't, uh, I don't think you'll see me trying to go compete with those guys. It's a whole different skill set and a whole different mindset you know but uh, it was exciting to watch and uh those guys are doing a lot of neat stuff you know and it's all about flying it's all about aviation i love all kinds of stuff i have a a you know we have a you said a, a beach 18 i also we have an n3n and probably the airplane that flies the most is our ronka champ you know the uh so yeah and We've got one flying Aranka champ, and uh, we're restoring another Aranka champ. I wanted to ask you one more question about the Sea Fury before we leave that. And, and again, congratulations on that Thanks. on that race results. So now, how many gallons per hour does that engine need to go an average of 403 miles an hour? It's got a fuel flow in it, so I know exactly. It's 360 to 380 gallons an hour of fuel. And then it has ADI injection, which is another 130 gallons an hour on top of the fuel the, that's going down the inlet through the engine. So three, four, now what is it? So you're looking at almost 500 gallons an hour of liquid yeah. coming through. My math's not great. Now you're doing all this in about 10 or 15 minutes of flying, right? Right, right. I plan on 30 minutes airborne. you got to take off, join up. Circle around the airport, come down the chute. So you're planning for 30 minutes of fuel. Uh, I mean, 30 minutes of, of time. The race lasts, you know, less than 10 minutes. Right. So you have to take off, the join up, circle around, come down the chute for the uh, for the start of the race, and you fly the race, and it's a 10 minute race, and you pull up after the race. And uh, I start with 100, uh, about 185 gallons of fuel. And then once I come off the race course, I look down, I've got about 60 gallons left. It is about all I have left in fuel. And that's, you pull up and you look and you go, whoop, 60 gallons. And then uh, you pull the, start pulling the power back, the race is over. But low cruise is 90 gallons an hour for that thing. I mean, just low cruise. Just I can't even imagine. Uh, but that, that's very interesting. Now, for, for someone who's a, a Reno novice like myself, What's the coolest thing about racing at Reno? What's, What's a don't, don't miss thing that you would tell anyone who comes not to miss this? this? What well, would besides 
the, the unlimited, unlimited class, class, of course, because you're uh, a, a, a part of that. that. But what, what would you say is a not-miss event? You know, the sport class guys, where they're taking you know, home-built airplanes like the uh, Lancer Legacy and the Glasser 3, and they're using Lycoming engines and Continental engines and racing. Those guys are going really fast, and they're doing a lot of really cool stuff. And a lot of us can relate to it, you know, because we all have a... Cessna 210 or a Bonanza or something with that six-cylinder engine in it. So I always make sure I watch the sport class as a don't-miss event. Unlimiteds, of course, are you know, the biggest and the noisiest, and, but it's all fun. All the racing is fun, all the way from the, you know, the short field guys doing that stuff, the, the, the Formula Ones and the Formula Biplanes. It's all exciting. It's, it's exciting, exciting for, for, for fans, fans and it also, also makes pilots, pilots better pilots, pilots no, no doubt. doubt. All right, David, you know, they've got a rookie school. You can go. You can go do this. What do you think? I'll have to save up for that, Ian. I'm, you know, we talked a little bit about the Aerobat, the Westminster Aerobat. Yeah. Maybe that'll be a competition <laughs> for slowest. Yeah. But uh, hats off to, to Dennis in uh, that Sea Fury Dreadnought. And the 2019 races basically happened right around the time that we're recording this hangar talk. And so we're hoping in 2021 that we'll be able to talk a little bit more about maybe another podium finish by Dennis Sanders and that bunch. That's right. Hey, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk. We're also available on Apple and Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check us out on Spotify, too. All right. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hangertalk from AOPA, your freedom to fly.